This is the one with an uncomfortable, nagging sensation about the uncanny. The promise of an interdepartmental snog. Brexit propaganda! And don't you dare say toilets. It's called The Harvest. Oh my god. Reviewing stuff for Rebels 2. Because we love our Doctor Who. Cultish robots are no bore. Opposing prison, why not sure? The robot haven and like Paul. Orbis Phobos, pretty cool. Now and then and here and there. We'll follow Doc 8 everywhere. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Audiobook by audiobook. Even those that are gobbledygook. We'll review them all, you see. So join us on this odyssey. It's who back when? Who back when? What ho, ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond of podcast land. Welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. That's right. More Docpast than usual for me this time, because today we are reviewing The Harvest in episode A30. The Harvest starring the Seventh Doctor. Yes. The Seventh Doctor is the only Doctor, aside from Joe Martin, we haven't yet properly reviewed on Who Back When, unless you count the Five-ish uh, Doctor's Baker. reboot. Colin Baker has appeared. Yes, this is true. That, is, that is true. That is true. Who in, are you? Fifth Doctor Adventure. <laughs> I am Drew Back When, and I couldn't be happier to have as my co-host tonight in Oxford, across the ether. Why, it's me, Leon. Hello, Drew. Hello, podcast land. Hello, Leon, and thanks for reminding me to actually say who the hell we are. <laughs> so excited about tonight's episode. Well, exactly. I forgot my own name because <laughs> Sylvester McCoy <laughs> is part of the cast list tonight. I'm sure we must have discussed this during the Five-ish Doctors reboot. But have you ever seen McCoy as the Doctor? Do you have any experience of him as the Doctor? My only experience of him as the Doctor is of the two minutes in a YouTube video that I watched when we were preparing to record Michael Ridgway's Who Will Survive? Oh yes, of course. Yes, yes, yes. And I should make it clear that our reviewing this episode tonight has absolutely nothing to do with whom I'll be staying with this weekend when this episode drops. But to give you a clue, Hi, let's, just say, let's just say he's been described as on the biggish side. <laughs> so biggish. <laughs> and this is, this is an audio drama by Big Finish. So Big Finish. We should also say, apologies, Podcast Land, we didn't really announce beforehand that we were reviewing this tonight, or this week, rather. The aforementioned scheduling conflicts, aforementioned on the podcast, scheduling conflicts across uh, Oxfordshire and Berlin remain, unfortunately, and consequently, we had to think on our feet. So uh, you're just going to have to hold on a little while longer before we return to a new Who or a classic Who review. But fret not, they are coming. Yeah, until then, enjoy this filler. But what filler? Please, 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 let's be scouts so that we can discuss this. Let's. Time for us to synopsize, lubify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. In the distant future of October 2021, Dr. Farrer is up on the not-at-all-suspicious high-security 31st floor of St. Gart's Hospital in central London, performing a not-at-all-suspicious complex recarnative surgery on a not-at-all-suspicious patient with a bin echo for a metal voice box at the behest of those pesky Euro-combined bureaucrats in Brussels! Meanwhile, prickly scouse staff nurse Hex is busy treating a far-gone friend in the A&E, when, lo and behold... Said friend is taken to said 31st floor to be adequately rescued. Alas, he never makes it out alive. 
In his hour of need, Hex is fortuitously set up with H.R. Hottie, Jost McShane, and with her friend the Doctor, they investigate the furtive, nightmarish goings-on at St. Garth's. You are welcome. A bunch of questions, a bunch of questions, but also I'm curious to hear, what did you think of this high level? And the reason I ask this and the reason I'm curious is that when I had started listening to this, I sent you a message to the effect of, this is really quite good. <laughs> oh, I had no reason to suspect that that opinion had changed. Oh, it has not changed, but it is before I observed something else about this episode. Oh, good. Uh, high level. I mean, it's it's difficult to parse everything out. Just just pull everything out from the rainbow unicorn sparkle joy emoji mood that I'm in because I got to listen to Sylvester McCoy for an hour and a half. What a chap. Oh, what a chap. I what mean... a chap. Yeah. It, we need to devote a whole chapter, a, a chapter of this <laughs> podcast episode to Sylvester McCoy because holy smokeroonies and cheesecakes, what a dude. Yeah. Wow. Michael Grade must really have hated Doctor Who to... <laughs> to cancel it with this guy at the helm. Sorry, Lou Grade, again. Um, <laughs> high level, let's just say, definitely positive. Okay, yeah. Same, same, absolutely. Looking forward to getting into the nitty gritty uh, uh, in the various chapters. But yes, high level, absolutely, thoroughly enjoyed this. I do have a question for you, though. Go ahead. Was the script editor on this audiobook Nigel fucking Farage? <laughs> <laughs> um... They did seem to have a certain distaste for federated states. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> just a couple of quotes spring to mind. Who's worse, Cybermen or Eurocrats in Belgium? Okay. <laughs> right. Yep, yep, given to the doctor himself to yep. find. Uh, the constant, constant barrage of arguments against the EU, effectively, dictating what we can and cannot do with our lives, with our very bodies. The doc being a, quote, foreign agent, quote, more foreign than you can imagine. And I, I had to look up when this was written. I, it, I've already forgotten. I think this, this was produced in 2004. It was written but, by Dan Abnett and released in June 2004 as main range episode 058. Yeah, I, I'm going to put a pin in Dan Abnett because I want to get back to him in a second. But 2004, you say... I, the reason I, <laughs> I wanted to find out when this was produced or when this was written was because I wanted to look up the political career of Michel Barnier because every time I heard Mr. Garnier, <laughs> yeah. I kept thinking of <laughs> Michel Barnier. <laughs> every time I heard Mr. Garnier, I thought what a missed opportunity it was that he wasn't the doctor operating and he couldn't say, welcome to my laboratoire. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Can I return to Dan Abnett? Please do. Wrote did you a put a pin in script. Sorry, did you put a pin in Dan Abnett or Dan Abnett's voodoo doll? <laughs> I have nothing against Dan Abnett. I've only read the. Well, sorry, I've only listened to the one uh, audio book of his. This one, incredibly well written, fantastic, fantastic script. Well done, Dan Abnett. I was a little bit curious about the guy, so I went onto Tardis Wikia and looked him up, uh -huh. and I clicked on. I kid you not, a random subset of scripts uh, written by Dan Abnett. Abnets. Sure. I clicked on four, to be precise. And of those four, three had some things that perhaps could be seen in a different light, based on what we've just talked about. Go on, cast that different on. light. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'll read them out, shall I? Here's one. Nocturne. These yep. all sound great, by the way. These all sound great. Did you look this up as well, dude? I didn't. This is fantastic research on your part. So uh, it's. I only looked. I only clicked on four of them because it w- I was listening to this so last minute. <laughs> so Nocturne. It's about a human colony planet called Nocturne, where there is a great human renaissance, but there there is also a strict martial law imposed upon all citizens. Okay. Um, there is thin time in which Doc learns that there is an alien interloper in London. And then there is Edifice in which the Doctor and Donna, you'd like this one, uh, find themselves trapped in a purpose-built complex of luxury apartments called uh, the Edifice, which leave much to be desired, though. Millions of beings from across the universe have been gathered to live side by side, but instead of creating neighborly affection, it's led to terrible battles being waged in the corridors and in the stairwells. Right, I see. So... A bit of an anti-multiculturalism fable, perhaps. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it, <laughs> I'm sure he is just as liberal as most people who uh, write for Doctor Who, except maybe not quite as liberal. Yes, these lines came along, but different perspectives are welcome, and we have Absolutely. the cognitive capacities to rate them on their own merits, and they will stand or fall by the scrutiny which we subject them to. So, Absolutely. Hey, dude, what's the air like up on that high road? The, 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, uh, I completely concede. I've, as I said, I've not read or heard anything else by this man. By all accounts, he is a fantastic writer. And I just found enjoyment in discovering little hints of a potential red thread uh, across some narratives. Yeah. No, that, what you have said does not surprise me. This did not drop into this script by accident. I mean, reaching back to 2004, yeah. as far as my memory will allow... Let's see. We were in the second term of New Labour. Uh, for the last decade or so, all anyone had been talking about was the feckin' euro. Um, <laughs> there you go. Okay. Yeah. And the prospects loudly trumpeted in certain newspapers every day of a, of a European army. And, and um, I believe the words Museum of Parliament did appear in this serial somewhere. I can't remember exactly where, but yeah, that seems to fit with the febrile... Um, imagination of back then of of what might occur a couple of decades hence or thence. Um, yeah, there was a lot of it around. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. It is. It's really quite interesting hearing this today. It's interesting hearing this post Brexit, and also very interesting given that it's it, it takes place in October of 2021, only last month <laughs> in uh, real world time, which is a hilarious coincidence. Yeah. And it's funny, isn't it, also how much like, is it 1984 with Eurasia and East Asia and the other one, whatever that was. In this story, likewise, the world seems to have split up into three major superpower factions. There's the, oh hell, what's it called? The Euro Combine? There's the Euro Combine, um, and they don't seem to talk about Britain or England at all in any sense. Like, people have just forgotten what the island was ever called and any kind of British history. There was the Pan-US Corp. Oh, I totally missed this line. Yeah, that the... Um, Interesting. Yeah, I, I unless it's core C-O-R-P-S, like a, a military body, or whether it's corp as in corporation. Corporation, yeah. I'm, I couldn't quite tell. Um, But 
Doc is talking about the competing space programs alive in oh, 2021, yes. which is another weird coincidence, actually, that I didn't even think of. Three competing space programs all at once. Yes. Um, I only made one note of that, and that was that China basically owns the moon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was the other thing that was mentioned along Pan... The Pan-US Corp have W stations, whatever that is. Never oh, explained. Oh, no idea. No idea. It might be a classic Who reference I'm not familiar with. But yeah, that, that, so that seemed to be a bit of a 1984 update in that yeah. sense. Or Man in the High Castle kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, anywho. Right, so what, what would you like to start with in this episode? Doctor, companion, plot, aliens? Let's do it in that order. Okay. <laughs> Take it away. We had to wait quite a long time for the Doctor in this episode, mm. in this story. He had one standout line as clearly the maintenance guy in the hospital halfway through the first episode, which is hilarious in itself. Um, Can you you see to fixing the vending machine at some point? I'll add it to my list. Or (laughs) (laughs) just the sulkiest. Ah. Yes, very, very telling. Um, yeah, otherwise, though, he doesn't make an appearance until the part one cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. So this is a four-parter. I mean, I mean, effectively, we have 25% sans Doctor, which is quite remarkable, I think. I don't remember that being the case with the um, Paul McGann ones. I mean, my memory will not let me say whether they did that once or not. We, we've had... I feel like Paul McGann was center stage from the get-go in every single audiobook. That's just how you remember them. <laughs> Center station. It, whenever I open the door, there he is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You put your headphones on and he says, Welcome, Leon. I've been waiting for you. And it's not at all like that episode of The Outer Limits. In no way. What I liked about not having him in episode one is that they basically gave him license to grandstand and monologue the whole way through episode four. Like, it ramped up his involvement with every successive episode. Episode one, hardly there. Episode two, ordinary character. Episode three, standing out. Episode four, speech. (laughs) Not just speech, clever. Very clever. Figuring things out. He has a backup plan in, in in his back pocket as well. Seventh Doctor, much more resourceful, much less bumbly Mr. Magoo than I expected him to be. Oh, yeah. The Seventh Doctor is a a model of poise. And, okay, he might get surprised, but even his reaction to that surprise, there's no bumbling. He just goes and he commits and he is so in control of everything. Very much, yes. Of everything he's saying and of everything he's making those around him do, both human and digital in some cases. If ever there were a character whom it would be more appropriate to hand an exclamation point umbrella, this is the guy. <laughs> yeah, there's no questioning with him. There are just ish- issued commands and directives. Yeah, exactly. I did not expect the rolling R's. Those really pained me. Really? Really. I mean, I... Every time? I... <laughs> respected them i don't know why i go all yogi bear when i try to fake that i can roll an r which i can't which you know because you were listening 10 seconds ago it pained me because this means that i can never do a halfway convincing seventh doctor sylvester mccoy impression and people know that from listening to who will survive anyway 
Um, I thought you he, did a spiffing job. Well, I re-recorded it. That was also before I'd actually heard him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very difficult. 11, 12 takes. Um, and yeah, I can't roll the R, so I can't possibly do this. I would, however, happily, on the other hand, listen to him read out the R section of the dictionary. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. And and I bet also that it, it's just impossible to write for him without saying, hmm, I think I'm going to put the Doctor in rarefied company today on the planet Razorachuranior. <laughs> How could you not? Knowing that he was going to be in the session reading out your words, you just fill them with ours. With ours, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I cannot wait to get him. Hang on. I'm very, very curious now. I don't want to find out how many episodes we have until we get to him uh, on Who Back When. So we are now on Warriors of the Deep, 130, and Seventh Doctor, 144. That is shockingly soon. Yeah. We're really, really close to the Seventh Doctor. Oh, I wish you were. So excited. I know. Yes, absolutely. Wow. So you must be nearly done with Davison. Yeah, we uh, we are. I mean, Davison didn't have that many episodes. Uh, uh, evidently, Colin Baker didn't either. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just dawned on me, actually, that the next bonus episode of this podcast, it might be the Davison retrospective or the Capaldi retrospective. Yeah. Mm, either Peter will do. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, wait. What, what else about the Doctor? So very, very resourceful. He's suspiciously good at just camouflaging himself. He goes undercover a lot in this audiobook. Well, I like that he's basically the hospital version of the caretaker. That yes, that's fits. true. Yeah. But now imagine that he were going undercover anywhere but a hospital. He'd still be introducing himself as the doctor. <laughs> Would it still be as uh, convincing, do you think? What are you suggesting? I felt that he was perhaps better at going undercover than most other Doctors we've had. I'm basing this on television Doctor Who, I should say. Better at going undercover than television Doctors we've had uh, on Who Back When before. The reason I say this is he doesn't rely on psychic paper. He doesn't rely on an outfit, for example. So psychic paper, very much the new Who thing, right? Like, oh, you flash a badge effectively and you tell someone else, you show someone else that piece of paper and that is enough. You can act however weird you want (laughs) and they will still buy it just because they saw your credentials. In classic Who, He's the king of Belgium, but, you know, he was put there by God, so who am I to judge? Well, yeah, I mean, fair enough. Hey, if we all questioned the identity and the veracity of the, the statue of the king of Belgium... Uh, where would we be? <laughs> so uh, th- there's that. And in Classic Who, it's more of a, um, a a disguise thing. Oh, you know, someone's Pertwee's in drag or someone's wearing sunglasses or whatever. Like They, they get away with it that way. Does Pertwee, A, dress up in drag and B, get away with a disguise? Because I was going to yes. nominate Pertwee as the most impossible to mask any aspect of his presence wherever uh, he goes. Pertwee goes uh, undercover as a, um, I'm going to go ahead and call it little old cleaning lady. Like a washerwoman from The Wind in the Willows. He he affects like a John Cleese level, or Graham Chapman level, rather, little old lady voice. Puts on a wig, uh, a, a dress that's straight out of Monty Python, 
and somehow manages to infiltrate the bad guy's lair. I mm. think that's the Green Death. Okay. Check it out. I'm pretty sure there's a screenshot on the Green Death on whoback1.com. Yeah, anywho. So so there's that. Whereas Sylvester McCoy, the seventh Doctor, didn't have to rely on any of that. He relies on his wits. He's figured out everything. And in addition to that, this dude has been doing his freaking homework. He was sitting in the Doctor Who equivalent of an unmarked white van out front. And like, by which I mean the TARDIS in a parking garage in Toss's Lane. But still, just doing his research for one out of four parts before he even decided to, you know, go in. Well, okay, yeah, there's that one scene in the halfway through part one. But like in general, he is he's a master spy, it seems to me. Yeah, he is the computer whiz controlling the heist. Yes, exactly. Which I As did all not... nerds will agree, the real sex bomb of all those heist movies. <laughs> and that is not a role I expected him to be fulfilling. Mm. But he's not also a, the master right. of disguise. He's several members of the crew at once. I realise that it's only him and Ace and the hospital nurse. But yeah, he he's stealing all the star power. He's like eight or nine out of Ocean's Eleven at once. <laughs> <laughs> it's oceans seven that's it that's all we need <laughs> i thought that one of the most striking scenes was him alone with the computer oh yes yeah yeah sis when, system yeah sis when it, it, he, i mean first of all the computer says please which is unsettling that made me uneasy for the rest of the scene and he's saying, but I'm not causing you pain. Computer, am I doing anything counter to your protocols, which I have rewritten because I have basically brainwashed you. So you actually welcome this. You are horny for me. And it's like, <laughs> ah, doctor, you're magisterial, but get out of my room. <laughs> get out of my just room. <laughs> yeah. Get out of my ears and out of my room. And I need a barrier between me and you right now. <laughs> I'm not trying to hold this up as something that is necessarily problematic. I'm just saying that the man is very good at walking a fine line of of being unsettling um, and thrilling and disturbing all at once. And he's been doing it since the 80s. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Did this give you... Okay. Are you now tempted to perhaps watch some Seventh Doctor material as well. Let alone listen to more, because we have already decided this is sort of part one of a trilogy-ish, so we will probably be doing that trilogy. But are you keen on exploring more of the Seventh Doctor in a different medium and on TV? I mean, I always was, partly because of <laughs> peer pressure and <laughs> constant references to him in reviews. Mm-hmm. But also because he is the, the Machiavellian schemer, as was amply demonstrated in this story. Yes, certainly. And so it does seem a lot more intriguing and interesting. I, I imagine he takes the Doctor places he never went before, and he or she never went since. So, yes, I, I believe I will be watching some when the time comes. Uh, please feel free to join us when we get to the seventh story. Feel free to join us beforehand as well. Loved having you on that Davison one. On that, well... On the Five Doctor one, holy smokes, Podcast Land, if you haven't listened to the Five Doctors yet, listen to our Five Doctors review. So what did you think about the Seventh Doctor? Is this the first time you've seen him? Didn't you see yes. some of these when you were super young? No. You didn't? No, the only thing of the Seventh Doctor that I've seen 
is, I believe, a comic a comic relief, like a children in need thing. Oh. And I can't remember what it's called now, but as I recall, it's utter shite. Hang on, I'm going to find out what it's called. Yeah, exactly. So it's called Dimensions in Time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I have seen this one. I've heard uh, of this. It, it's entirely available on YouTube, uh, which will be how I saw it. Um, it, it's him, Pertwee, and Colin Baker. Maybe another one as well. I'm not sure. Okay. And uh, it's it's utter shit. Like it is just like straight up garbage. Here's the tragic thing about it. I believe you're familiar with um, our mutual friend and uh, former co-host of Who Back When, the Rawmeister. Yes, very familiar. Dimensions in Time was the first episode of Doctor Who he ever saw. Huh. And yet he didn't make it on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Odd, eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I might have bigged up that tragedy a little bit too much. But but yeah, so that's the only thing of Sylvester McCoy's I've seen to date. Not counting the Five-ish Doctor reboots. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's it. So well, the Five-ish Doctor reboot doesn't count because in that he's a lovely little old man. And that is not what he's playing here. Yeah, that's true. He's He also plays Sylvester McCoy rather than the Seventh Doctor. So... Yeah, no, this this is effectively my first encounter with him, and I love him. I, I I can only assume that if his tenure as the Doctor on television was deemed inadequate, it will have been deemed thus for external reasons, e.g. production, <laughs> e.g. budget, e.g. whatever. Yeah. Not him. The, yeah. the, the, based on this one audiobook alone and i i will reserve judgment until i've actually seen him but based on this audiobook alone he appears to be terrific doctor and i really love the pairing with ace fantastic chemistry those two clearly have like a a, a beautiful rich history together okay so let's talk ace she's next what a total badass she was great yes. good fun uh, oh. good fun Okay. Oh, why I, the hesitation, Drew? I found it really hard to get my head around Ace. I mean, this is being dropped in the middle of the main range, so people have had plenty of opportunity to get more acquainted with Ace. This is designed as no one's first exposure to Ace, so that I had That's a, true. So that I had a bit of a bit of whiplash. Um, Catching well, am I up right in assuming characters? that Ace was like the main companion of the Seventh Doctors on TV? I believe so. Yeah. Yes. Played by the same woman, Sophie Aldred. And she was absolutely a badass. And yeah. there's lots to like. She's sardonic in a way that basically personifies and exemplifies being sardonic rather than sarcastic. If, if people ask me, what's the difference? I'd be like go listen to slash watch ace for a bit yeah it's like one is the seventh doctor the other one's ace (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) perfect and she's never phased by anything so the fact that she always sounds cool calm and collected doesn't preclude it being really effective when something properly scary comes along because she takes it seriously she's like okay i'm gonna drop the, the tone for a bit and it fits that really well. It's, it's good as a signpost and a reaction. It just m- melds, meshes perfectly with what you imagine the character is experiencing. So that's that's all great. That works in both directions. And okay, I'm, I'm now I'm only saying good things about Ace. 
Yeah, I exactly. Was, I was trying to sort of... What's your beef, man? I was trying to imagine... Well, no. First of all, I got some Clara vibes off her right at the beginning. Now, it wouldn't work in that direction, because obviously yeah. Clara comes after, and indeed Rose comes after. And eventually, by the end of the episode, I was like, oh, okay, she's like a more streetwise version of Rose with the uber-confidence of Clara. Inter- interesting. Okay. Does that do you, would you agree that her confidence comes from her interactions with Hex? I mean, she is the veteran companion. Hex is the newbie, and the the confidence is something that it, we can uh, infer simply by, uh, I mean, by hearing her explain in very mundane tones what all this alien stuff is about to Hex. That is definitely a large part of it. However, she uses that same cool, calm, collected, unflustered tone when she's in quite severe peril. When Garnier has a gun, and I think Polk is there later on, and oh, and basically... what's his name? Matthew. Um, Doctor Mark Matthias. Matthias, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And basically, they're about to be fed into well no they're about to be harvested parts of their bodies are going to be stripped from them and given to the decaying cyber men who are trying to rehumanify themselves yes reincarnate themselves literally (laughs) (laughs) indeed as as flesh and metal yeah, and and she, and he's throwing at her all the threat and shade that he can, and she's just you know meh, 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 straight back. And while I do sort of like it, and as I said before, there is a second note that she strikes when re- when when shit gets real. It's not a one note performance, but it's a bit of a two note performance. Oh, interesting. Okay, I see what you're saying. It just yeah. It's, mm. I'm not saying that Sophie Aldred is limited in any way, because this is my only exposure to her, and I don't know. Um, I liked all the acting in this episode. When an actor is bad, it uh, it appears throughout. It is I, I trust my judgment to be like, oh no, they're terrible. I don't think she's in any way unskilled. Yeah, exactly. Uh, on a scale from uh, Paul McGann's son to Sophie Aldred, Sophie Aldred did pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well put. I, I wonder if you would feel differently in a story that featured the Seventh Doctor, Ace, and no one else, as in no other companions, no TARDIS team, where she didn't have to play her part in a certain way to exemplify herself as the more... Uh, experienced of the two i see what you mean so even in that scene that i was describing as potentially um i mean even the, yeah she's she's opposite what's his face mark matthias well no no she's opposite hex oh she's opposite hex okay so it, there is a scene where she is opposite mark matthias and there is no hex around okay i believe and in so in that scene she is still oh shit no you're you're, you're absolutely I don't. So, I'm not sure that Hex is. I mean, Hex arrives later on. I he think. does. He does. But so th- there is a, at least part of that scene where she is with Mark Matthias and no one else. So she's not with any other members of the TARDIS team, but she still plays the same kind of nonplussed character. And I think the the reason or part of the reason for that is that if you were to make her more plussed, 
then that would contrast <laughs> with her prior performance opposite Hex. So you, if if you, however, have a scene, sorry, an audiobook with no one else against whom she must constantly be compared or with whom she must constantly be compared, then she has a greater freedom to roam a, just a broader emotional spectrum. She can be afraid. She can be worried. She can also be really courageous and nonplussed and whatever. She, she has all of that range as a character. But here, much of that range is devoted to the new guy. And I don't know how long he travels with the with the doctor and with Ace, but it might be that in a few audiobooks' time, that scale sort of equalizes, and both of them are able to be either scared or courageous. Yeah, no, that that all adds up, and this guy does get a run as a really second companion for the Doctor and Ace. He's appeared right, okay. in dozens of Big Finish audios. Oh, and yikes, caramba! Yeah, a lot of them are seventh and ace ones. What did you think of him? Oh, you mean Philip Olivier? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah, let's hear it. (laughs) What up, Phil? Thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he did pretty well. It's a bit tricky. Pretty well? I'm having a bit of trouble with all this because often I listen to these audios twice. First to make Mm -hmm. notes and then second to really experience it with a two-hour one given a day's notice not yeah, a exactly. chance no ditto so i'm i'm i am struggling a bit um i thought that he did some top notch yelling <laughs> when uh, this, this is just my this is just my way he literally fell off my seat that, that's that's entirely your fault you saw it on webcam I, you very nearly made me fall onto the floor <laughs> Well, the thing is, that's not a given in Big Finish productions. There is a scene where the cyberhumans, important distinction, the European Combine astronauts are enhanced and they are given access to the weapons locker and they go out and they shoot all the threats to their program in the hospital, i.e. all the humans. And you hear a good 20, 30 seconds of what is supposed to be carnage of weapons firing definitely hear that definitely hear bullets yeah and then you just hear a sort of confused bewildered murmuring which is supposed to which is supposed to stand in for the crowd being mown down in their dozens if not hundreds it's very underwhelming and it needed another go so that's my way of getting around to the fact that that's my way of getting around to saying that when Philip Olivier yells, like he gives it his all and it works and he does exactly what he should. And <laughs> it's, it's when he's yelling at um, Dr. Mark Matthias, who, mm-hmm. because uh, the other doctor, Farah, was ready to chop him up and harvest bits off him to give to the Cybermen. Farrah has been shot and Matthias is just like, I don't want to, I don't, I don't care about this guy. Just let him die. And Hex yells some sense into him and actually gets a response out of him. Yeah. And so he keeps Farrah alive for those extra few seconds and they can get in the room, whatever. Um, okay. There's more to this guy than yelling though. Well, so much yes. more. <laughs> what did you think of his performance at the start where he gets to sort of vacillate between perhaps slightly insecure young person and, utterly heartbroken friend oh because his friend damo has been knocked down from his job as a bike courier yeah exactly which in 2021 never been more common (laughs) (laughs) 
Dan Abnett clearly has some sort of optical device, some sort of lens that curves space and time itself, because <laughs> wowee, never before has someone with such accuracy penetrated the relative future of the present day. Well done. Apart from the whole three superpower thing, but we'll let that one slide. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're just stand-ins for Google, Tesla, and whatever else. Meta. (laughs) Huawei? (laughs) What were we talking about? I don't know! (laughs) (laughs) We usually have more notice than this. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about Philip Olivier, and I fully agree with you that he anchors episode one with the emotions he feels over demo mm-hmm. definitely he and actually let's put it this way over the hour and 55 minutes he has to convince you that he should be allowed to enter the tardis at the end and fly off and become a recurring companion has he earned himself the job undoubtedly undoubtedly i i think there's I, I didn't only react to... Yes, he is a hero and he uh, has sympathy and empathy. Great. I also reacted very positively to his awkward handling of... Like, deliberately awkward handling of his mate, can't remember his name now, trying to set him up with everyone, for example. Dr. Like, there Mark is Matthias. Oh, that's Mark Matthias, of course. Yeah, so I mean, I feel like there's comedic potential with this guy as well. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't overplay it, does he? No, no, not at all. Is there a romantic arc being set up between him and Ace? Because the way that they start, the start of their social arc is an attempt at romance. He likes her. He fancies her. I don't know oh, if that's goodness, it. did Mark say that? Oh, he said that to everyone. Oh, of course he did to everyone. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Even if there's a superficial aesthetic attraction, that is in no way picked up on once the action starts in this episode. There, there's When they're riding on the scooter together, there aren't any quips like grab on. Ooh, that feels... I don't, that, that's not what he'd say. But uh, Really? <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. Grab on to the uh, gear stick. That's it. No, tighter. Yeah. Need to get into second. What kind of scooter are we talking about? (laughs) talking about his dick. I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Do do I have to spell it out for you? (laughs) This is the Ars Amatoria, dude. (laughs) So, (laughs) okay, fine. Mm. All right. On On a more innocent note, then. The interplay between those two companions, I thought, was immensely compelling. I thought they they had great chemistry, like from the get go. Uh, and I, I'm aware that I mean this is this is Hex's first appearance in the universe. But as we said before, Ace was a long running companion of the Doctor's on TV. I cannot wait to meet her. Holy moly! Fantastic character. Cool. You you talking about the interplay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked, and you've mentioned, I think, the comedic chops of yeah. Philip Olivier when he has to deliver, oh my god, uh, so many times. And each time, it's slightly different, and it's funny. And that is, in, in large part, testament to the writing, which manages to make this runner actually humorous and worth repeating. Yeah, I was going to say, 
Abnet is a really fun writer. Again, based solely on one episode. Maybe everything else is utter crap. Who knows? But like this one, really exciting, yada, 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 dot, 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 and fun. There was, there's, there's a bit where um, Matthias, Mark Matthias, in the background is heard, oh, now he's got reservations. Like, <laughs> oh, didn't spot that. <laughs> After he's almost been sawed to bits, and what's his face uh, is is that is that Garnier, whoever it is, he, he stops the dismantling or the attempted dismantling of Mark Matthias and whatever. Yeah, and then two or three minutes later, he says, "Yeah, I I I, I had my reservations about you know uh, using going this far in the name of science," and you just hear the faint hint of Mark Matthias in the background going, oh, now he's got reservations. And someone, I think possibly Hex, turning to him and going, shut up. <laughs> Excellent. Really, really good. Fantastic. There's, there's, another, there's another aside that they give to Matthias. What's that? He says, um, he's, he's panning right out of earshot saying i've got because he's got a hangover from hex's big party the night before oh yes i know exactly what you mean yeah and he says i've got to go find some aspirin and save some lives and as he peels off and fades out he's like i'm a doctor so i should be able to manage one of them i know exactly yes absolutely (laughs) and i it's in my notes it's in my notes i really didn't like mark matthias's character at first and of the characters in this episode i think he's probably the weakest mark matthias is like the todd from scrubs i really enjoyed him i thought he was absolutely hilarious he is slightly todd like and there are these funny lines what i didn't like was he started off super plummy like stereotypically plummy yeah and then by the end david farrah Okay, he he was a mortal threat to Matthias's corporeal integrity and everything, um, but yeah. Matthias was able to see in front of him that he was essentially being forced, and to just let him bleed out in front of him with no sense of the Hippocratic Oath. I get that it's to make Hex look even better and more empathetic and everything. Sure. Be the opposite of that but that was a bit extreme in in the callousness stakes so i feel like i mean he's he's a fall guy essentially matthias is is the fall guy like how in operation pandorica we wrote brace face as the fall guy matthias yes, very much so yeah fulfills that role here we were talking about hex anyway way back when <laughs> we were talking about hex and his range and and that seems aeons ago dude okay well let me tell you about philip olivier oh let's hear it he was in 112 episodes of Brookie. Uh, of what? Brookside. Oh, what's that? You don't know what Brookside is? Brookside, no, no idea. Brookside was a soap on Channel 4 that ran from, I believe, its opening day in 1982 until about 2003. So just before this was released, possibly just before it was recorded. Mm-hmm. He is the reason that St. Bart's is called St. Gart's. Oh, because it is a tribute to him being on Brookside. It it relates to where it was set in Liverpool. Oh, right. Okay. And since then, he's bounced around the usual UK TV, Holby City, the Royal Doctors. Yeah. Sorry, the Royal, comma, Doctors. Not the Royal Doctors. That's not a thing. (laughs) Although maybe we should put that in the bank. 
Yeah, yeah. Save it for your uh, Netflix spec scripts. Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Was there anyone else you um, anyone else on the cast? Well, there was also Richard Derrington who plays Doctor David Farrer. He's interesting. He's okay. appeared in a much higher class order of UK TV. An episode of Poirot. <laughs> he played Henri in the Chocolate Box. I mean, I don't even remember that episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, let me try you with Paul LeCou, okay. who played Mark Matthias, for he has also been in an episode of Poirot. Okay, all right, let's hear it. Let's hear it. He was in the episode The Dream as Dr. Stillingfleet. Wait, hang on. That does ring a bell. I'm going to Google it. Man, there are a lot of episodes of Poirot. Who could I keep know, them yeah. all straight? Um, hang on. I'm finding it. Oh, of course. Oh, yes. Wait, whom did he play? Dr. Stillingfleet. There he is. Paul Lacou. Lovely. Interesting. I just want to make make this clear because it's come up on Who Back One a few times. I'm not a Poirot expert <laughs> <laughs> by any stretch. <laughs> nope, you've proven that tonight beyond any yes, doubt. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I did, however, watch all of it last year. Amazing. No, earlier this year. Amazing. No, it was last year. Um, no, it was this year actually. <laughs> It's it's never been harder to tell two years apart, so I'll I'll give you that. Okay, I've got more questions for you, though. Different Please. questions. Did you also think that the cyber leader, ex-cyber leader, was going to take the surgeon's hands? Oh, yes. There's a scene about halfway through where... Yeah, where he squeezes them tightly and he's talking a little too fondly about their exquisite skill. The dude spends like five minutes talking about how much he wants his hands. I absolutely thought that at some point later on in the audiobook, he would literally tear them off him. And the surgeon would pay the ultimate price for his crimes by losing his, his you know, the tools of his trade. Yeah. And, oh, it would be poetic justice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Without those hands, he would never have created the scenario where his hands could be stolen. Oh, dear. What a shame. <laughs> full circle. Those hands have gone, <laughs> have gone full circle. They've effectively reached around. To <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I. Okay. So now we're talking about the cyber leader, cyber patient. Yes, let's talk about that chap. Yeah, because I was convinced that, as he explained to the Doctor early on in, I think, episode four, that he really did want the having left Mondas behind and experienced Earth with all its lovely, warm sensuousness to regain a flesh component and get all the advantages of flesh not necessarily in an evil way and the the doctor allows himself to just believe and hope just a little bit and i wasn't nearly as skeptical i i was entirely too credulous did Same you here. also you also believed that at that point yes absolutely i th there were there were more than a few borg references in this episode oh, we well, we get a straight up uh, oh, sorry, what was that? I was going to say, let's talk about Resistance is Futile just being ripped. Exactly. So we, we get a straight up Resistance is Futile before they then return to the Resistance is 
pointless or whatever it is. They, they say, say resistance is futile multiple times. Well, in Star Trek, there are, you know, the odd occasions where they come across little pockets of Borg who have somehow been disconnected from the collective. And yeah. here they do talk about the Cyberman collective or the, the neural network that everyone's attached to. And they do talk about a few of them. Not everyone, not the collective. They make a distinction. Like he makes a distinction. The cyber leader makes the distinction of like, no, we as a species are still very much on board for doing the whole like Borg shit. Yeah. But the six of us or however many there are. Yep, him and his six buddies. Him and his six buddies, yeah. So the seven of us <laughs> are, we are different. We are not part of the collective and we want to regain our humanity. I had massive Star Trek vibes off that. Mm -hmm. Actually, yeah, Voyager vibes. That's like uh, Seven of Nine encountering the little group of Borg in Star Trek Voyager and like, oh yeah, no, I'm also one of you, you know, ex-Borg, yada, yada, yada. Great stuff. Totally bought into it, just like you. Yeah, and it led to, I think there were a few twists, but this was definitely the most lovely twist when he turned back to evil and the Doctor realised, oh wait, you've been in charge of them all along. I did not see that coming at all. It was a, a fantastic twist. Yeah. However, question for you. What is it exactly that they gain from, you know, the addition of humanity? Basically the ability to lie and deceive. But I know I thought that as well, but in oh. the very recent classic who's uh, serial that uh -huh. we reviewed that you were, were part of, The oh, Five yes. Doctors, we do get Cybermen, non-reincarnated Cybermen, who are perfectly capable of lying. Can you remember an example? Well, they take the the master for a bit of a ride. They're like, oh yeah, absolutely. You show us where to go and we'll let you go or whatever. We'll... we'll help you to get out of here. You know, you scratch our back, we scratch your back. And then one of the cybermen, I think a cyber leader, turns around to his cyber buddy and goes like, hey, Greg, yeah, yeah, I was just saying that. This mf -er is toast. Like, the second he takes us to the entrance of the whatever, the uh, tomb of Rassilon, yeah, we're, we're all going to just laser the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you are exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that. The Doctor here, I think, describes it as some form of lateral thinking. Like the, oh, so the, the fact that you've injected a bit of humanity back into your cells means that you're not... No, sorry, it's the cyber leader. He says, like, we're no longer subject to our rigid logic. Yes, we have but, overcome our one weakness, the rigidity of our thought processes. Right, yes. <laughs> but I, I, I'm not entirely sure that's clear. I don't fully understand what, aside from the subterfuge, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what that entails. Hmm. I mean, it worked in the moment. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. I mean, when you when you spread it out to the hey whole, hey oh, all right, <laughs> I didn't expect it that time. Sorry. When you expand the concepts, uh, hey stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. To encompass the whole cyber collective or all the Cybermen, then it is hard to see how... I can't even say hard now. Oh, goodness, what have you done to me? I've not done anything. I've, like, you've done nothing. <laughs> it, it's hard to see how it couldn't lead to more complications. I mean, that is yeah. why you go down the Borg slash Cybermen route to begin with, isn't it? Because then you're you're all of a single mind and you're focused and you get a lot more done that way. 
Well, there is an interesting aspect, I think, exactly along those lines, uh, touched upon later on, post-subterfuge, post-big reveal, where the cyber leader has lost, and he is, rather than just expiring like a diode, he, he suffers because of his added humanity, because of all the humanity that's been grafted onto him. He is sad as he dies. Yeah, he experiences pain, pain and fear. Mm. and Which all... is an added element of tragedy that we don't normally get with Cyberman. Yeah, and I have to strain to see that element of tragedy. It's definitely there. But all I can think about is the Doctor just saying, ah, yes, the flesh is weak, isn't it? And he just walks away. It's colder than any Cyberman. He is such a dude. Please, someone recut Die Hard, but with this dude. It's <laughs> so good. <laughs> you just hear the footsteps panning left and the EKG beep taking over. As that, yeah. Yes, exactly. As yes. That cyber meat bag just dissolves into a puddle on the floor. Around How do you his picture this casing. dude, by the way? How do you picture the cyber meat bag? I picture him as wearing that Lady Gaga meat dress that she wore to that award ceremony once. Yeah. <laughs> so, so <laughs> do you picture him the way that a certain character in... Uh, uh, okay, hang on. I, maybe I'll cut this, but there is a there is a particular character in our still in production who back when branded audio adventure uh, who has a, a a flesh mask wrapped around. Oh, you know, uh, effectively what I was picturing for a large chunk of this audiobook was a Cyberman, like in full Cyberman regalia. You know, like enormous, but with human bits stretched over it like a really ill-fitting hat like a really ill-fitting meat uh what's it called balaclava yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is quite hard to imagine i admit that my mind's eye didn't go into too many specifics it's very hard to deal with the eight foot metallic solidity of a cyberman because what's on the inside well, yeah, I'm sure all essential armory and circuitry. Are there organs in there? There are or organs in there now because, and this was a weird thing, they talked about a gallbladder graft being yeah. rejected. Humans don't need gallbladders. Why would, yeah, why, is that really where you want to go? <laughs> yeah. Let's start with the inessential organs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> The appendix is doing wonderfully, ironically. If only the kidneys had the gut up and get up and go of their, their appendix that they don't Yeah. Have. Oh, you know what? Maybe organs are too difficult. Let's try skeleton next. Let's start with a coccyx uh, or something else that's really <laughs> essential. <laughs> I certainly got plenty of body horror chills from this episode. Oh my goodness, yes. Especially that at the end where his organs are all failing. And yet, I didn't fully put the effort into wondering exactly where they were located internally or externally. I he's Dr. Farrett is operating on his eye early on, isn't he? He he, he peels oh. um a protective bandage off of or snips it snip 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 off yes you're right off the eye so yeah. i suppose a bit like bill in world enough and time 
they've gone in and put eyes in there where they shouldn't be in a Cyberman, but are in Bill. But let's not get into that. I'm I'm so glad that you brought that up because I this this did in a sense. I mean, it's it's fantastic timing that we're reviewing this right after reviewing uh, World Enough and Time because this audiobook definitely opened my eyes, as it were, to the fact that World Enough and Time messes with the Cyberman origin story. Mm-hmm. This one reiterates what we hear in in prior Doctor Who in Hartnell's last serial. This one cements the origin story of okay so there is a parallel planet to the earth a a second earth if you will where however for whatever reasons uh, the environment has gone all haywire it's because it's kicked out of orbit into deep space and in yeah and in order to compensate for that they while still on said planet they try to well they, they compensate for it by augmenting themselves cybernetically until they reach a point where they are more machine than man. In World Enough and Time, the, the origin story of the Cybermen is somewhat corrupted. I don't think it is. Really? Because... Well, for starters, it doesn't take place on freaking Mondas, man. No, but what has happened is Mondas is spiralling to its doom, its icy grave in deep space. And on the way, they have the wherewithal to assemble this giant colonization ship. There are only 20 odd people on it at the beginning as well as Mr. Blue Man and so that's a very small fraction of Mondas's population this was their plan B and they happened to get stuck by the black hole there's there's no reason why both things couldn't have happened and they just assumed oh well we never heard back from the ship so I, I guess it did get swallowed by the black hole but no it just stayed there for a thousand years ready for Moffat wait sorry hang on are you later. suggesting that both Mondas and their escape plan did the exact same thing both of them decided to create Cybermen well yeah, I mean, the species has already done it once. Seems to have a probability of more than zero that in a similar inhospitable environment, they'd be like, you know what we should turn to? Augmented tech. Oh, that is that is a very good point. Oh, it, yeah, I mean, that that's a, yeah, that's an interesting take on it. Because I think Moff, I think you need to give Moffat some credit for being careful enough to be like, I'm not saying Mondas went in a different direction and everybody from Mondas got on the ship. This is just some random offshoot that happens to do it parallel, much like um, parallel Roger Lloyd Pack Earth did in Age of Steel. Like, it happens oh. everywhere. It happens all the time. It's happening now. That's true. Oh, that's a very good... Yeah, that's a solid reference for that, actually. And also, yeah, I give Moff all the credit in the world. Holy smokes, he's the Moff. Aside from Dracula, the man can do nothing wrong. The, the, <laughs> uh, and I say that not having seen Dracula, I'm basing that solely on popular opinion. Um, the um, Okay, yeah. I'd be really curious to hear what Podcast Land thinks of that, though. I, I, I want to hear some, like, hardcore, salt-of-the-earth nerds <laughs> put me in my place. So to continue the Cyberman conversation, I said when we were watching The Five Doctors, look, the Cybermen are being more interesting than they've ever been in New Who. They've got a cyber leader and they have (laughs) plans and strategies. That's exactly what we get here. Yeah. Oh my goodness, yes. So I really like that. Uh, we're getting a but lot. This might also be an extension of. Oh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but this might also be an extension of the Cybermen that we get with the Seventh Doctor, and consequently, might be exactly the kind of very interesting Cybermen we will get to see in Classic Who going forward. Yeah, maybe that would be nice. 
They were very interesting previously as well, I should say. Like, even like going right back to the beginning, they were very, very interesting. Just slightly differently resourceful. Well, where I'm coming from is, at this point, most people are justified in having serious Cyberman fatigue. Yeah, okay. Because they've popped up... There were. There was a time when people had serious Dalek fatigue. Abby still does. And <laughs> as a okay. reaction against that, the the head honchos that be at Doctor Who seem to have taken the opinion, let's put the Cybermen in virtually every series and try and make them scary again. And it doesn't usually work. And we're getting them on Sunday, by the way, which I didn't expect, this coming Sunday. I know. The day I this know. episode drops. But this all serves as the platform for me to say that I really enjoyed this episode, regardless of any Cyberman fatigue at all. They burst through it. It took it to a couple of new places. And I knew from the very beginning that the patient with his metallic twang had to be a Cyberman with stuff being added to him. But the concept was just interesting enough. I think we approached this episode differently because I knew f- I knew that this was going to be a Cyberman episode before I even pressed play. Okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. I wonder if I would have read that differently. Uh, if I would have had a different experience had I not known that. Yeah. But the way he was played in terms of getting to learn or relearn these sensations... Like, he, he had the concepts for them, but he was he was pairing it with his experiences as he was looking out the window at London, and he was he was coming alive in a different way. And just the the luxuriousness of the techie Frankenstein's robot writing as the surgeon's working on him, and he's talking about reweaving the tissue base by fine-tuning the cohesion filaments. I mean, whoa, I could have listened to that for hours. <laughs> and talking about how the humans, you've been inured to the sensation by the mundane familiarity. I hope never to get used to it. That's entirely why I bought at the beginning of episode four that he was just fully doing this for that one motive rather than turning it around and being evil. That They set us up. Dan Abnett set me up so well with 90 minutes of sensory overload. Ah, oh, just bravo, sir. I'm sitting down and imagine I'm not sitting down. Standing ovation. Incredibly well done. I think I noticed when I was looking at Dan Abnett's list of accomplishments, he did not write parts two and three in this sort of informal trilogy. Oh. Which, I mean, makes me both slightly disappointed and very curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the gathering and the reaping that's the one yeah i think it's the other way around actually i think it's the reaping and then the gathering okay they appear later in the main range perhaps with different doctors oh that's interesting i didn't even think to check i just assumed they were both with the seventh doctor we'll see i think oh. we're going to do them we must like yeah. please let's please absolutely do that uh, and uh, maybe this is an opportunity to say also thank you to everyone who's recommended various audiobooks thank you huge thanks to ed such who recommended this one to us thank you very much such such a good suggestion <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> shall i do some more cast stuff oh please okay so david warwick plays laboratoire garnier if it's the David <laughs> Yeah. If it's the David Warwick otherwise associated with Doctor Who, which I can only assume, he played Chemus in Classic Who on the Pirate Planet. What? 
Yep. With Tom Baker. Yes. And he's also appeared in New Who in a Cyberman episode. What? As the police, Which one? He's played the police commissioner in Army of Ghosts. Oh, I wonder if we mentioned this when we uh, talked about the pirate planet. Um, I'm looking him up. Commerce? Oh, that guy! That guy. You know that guy. Oh, uh, seriously, do yourself a favor and watch Pirate Planet because it's hilarious. <laughs> it's what? Douglas Adams. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't the only cast Doctor Who connection. Janie Booth, the voice yep. of System, okay, yeah. was in an episode of Torchwood as hospital patient. Okay. <laughs> I feel like that has to be some knowing casting. Maybe. Yeah, maybe on the trivia side of things, someone was like, yeah, yeah. Let's let's make an obvious connection here. Sure, I'm a, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think so. They're all a big family, aren't they? These people. I mean, this was during this was released during the uh, what do they call them? The wilderness years or whatever it is. Yes, exactly. Wait, was it? Yes, it was 2004. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So all the the uber super fans will have been keeping tabs and making notes and planning get-togethers. Okay, so I've got a question for you. This is completely out of left field from nowhere. Oh, okay. Oh, this is going to be great. We talked about showrunners and such before RTD came back. Yes, indeed. Why did no one suggest Nick Briggs? Because the guy... Oh, that's such a good question. The guy clearly devotes his entire life to Doctor Who as it is. He set up Big Finish, which is an extraordinary enterprise. It pumps out so many different channels and streams of Doctor Who content. So many stories. He's got access to so many writers. He could create that fantasy writer's room that we were talking about, just like a dozen of the the most gigantic Doctor Who minds. Just get them all together and keep pumping away. Just a a beautiful (laughs) production line. That's what he's doing already. JD would be lying in a pool of water like a precog just, just like <laughs> <laughs> exuding plots on little red marbles <laughs> yeah and they have to call him to set every other episode anyway to voice a dark that's the thing well, that's else. the thing so i think if they were to put him in charge of the whole thing i think there's a general worry perhaps that the bbc would owe the terry nation estate way too much money because <laughs> it, it would end up being 98 percent daleks i see I mean, it's just a theory. It's just a theory. But you're you're so right. That is uh, totally on the money. A very, very good uh, candidate for showrunner. Yeah, I'm not considered it. I don't know why. I mean, he's hiding in plain sight. He's vaud hiding. I know. I know. No, if that even works. One of the audios we were suggested, we were recommended to review, was a vaud one. Indeed, by Peter, Peter Zunich. Yeah. Thank you very much, Peter. And we may yeah, get around to that, because I'm just curious. Domain how... of the board, by the way. Yeah, because I'm just curious how someone obviously hides without you being able to see them. <laughs> I mean, I imagine that there are a lot of descriptions of just rooms. Like, oh, so there's a pillar there, there's a console there. That curtain looks a lot like a dude in a wetsuit. And then there's this thing over here, and like no one notices. Yeah, what's weird is I expected to find an alien in here but all i all i can see is this curtain that is oddly shaped like a dude in a wetsuit but seems exactly to be a curtain. yes that's exactly what it will be like i look for you know what peter we no longer need to listen to it we we got it <laughs> <laughs> or slash wrote the sequel <laughs> uh, jk we are a bajillion percent going to listen to that one furnishings and, re- of the and review it i'm sorry furnishings of the void 
<laughs> interior decoration of the Ford. Of the Ford. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it just it just occurred to me over the last few weeks that why hasn't there been a clamouring for Nick Briggs? Give it to Nick Briggs. It's just odd. And why wouldn't he do it? Oh, yeah, no, you're right. He's been around for so long that surely he could do this with his eyes closed as well. Yeah, and I imagine RTD in this second go-around is going to be more an exec producer figurehead slash showrunner. Like, he's going to have help. Possibly, yeah. I mean, if, if, I don't know. If I, nothing I don't know. else, the man's getting on, and he's already done it for a few years. So, you know, why? Uh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> he is in the prime of his life. <laughs> oh, undoubtedly. But there's no, <laughs> there's no better way to accelerate your aging than to become a Doctor Who showrunner. That, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I have one final cast note. Polk. Yes. Barely a character at all. Indeed. Basically just says resistance is futile a few times and some yep. other lines like this, like in a Cyberman voice. He was played by Mark Donovan. Okay. Yeah. Who? Who? What? Who? I'd be impressed if you knew who. Mark Donovan is the Zo... Wait, 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 wait. Don't say anything. Wait. Oh, now I heard you say Zor. I don't know what Zor might be. Zor. Donovan is Zor. Okay, hang on. Wait, wait, wait. Give me a hint. Is this a Doctor Who connection or something else? It's not. It's something else, but it's so sweet. Is he a big monster actor? Like, is he the UK equivalent of your Jasons, your leather faces, that sort of thing? He's not a big monster actor, but you'll know the monster I'm talking about. (sighs) Dude, let me just tell you. (laughs) Okay, go for it. Mark Donovan is the zombie in Shaun of the Dead. The one who gets the shard of vinyl stuck in his face. Oh, when, dag nabbit. And they're chucking albums at him across the garden. You know what? My brain didn't even go to zombie. <laughs> That's <laughs> wow. how far away I was from the answer. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. I know exactly the zombie you mean. Yeah. And he was also in The World's End as Big Ugly Bastard. <laughs> I need to rewatch that. You know, like of the three in the Cornetto trilogy, that's the one I've seen the least. Yeah, you and the rest of the of the human race. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably a, yeah. a, a, a fair point. Um, that character Mark name, Donovan. That, sorry, that character name, Big Ugly Bastard, was so hurtful that he immediately retired from acting because that is his last film credit to date. They took the joke too far. Uh, similarly, a long-haired yuppie scum from Pulp Fiction. Oh really? Um, <laughs> actually, you know what? I don't know. Maybe maybe he went on to star in Dallas. Who knows? Um, the, um, no, Dallas came before Pulp Fiction, I think. Uh, Mark Donovan, you say? Yes. Mark, thanks for listening. (laughs) Yeah, and maybe give acting another go. Absolutely, yeah. That was great. That was really good stuff. Okay, I've got some questions for you. Oh, let's hear them. Did you notice that Ace works for HR, Human Resources? Yes, that's a standard department in many companies and organizations. Which double feature have I frequently talked up, uh, double feature of Audio Who, I should say, have I frequently talked up on Who Back When? Second only in mentions to The Chase, it would be Human Resources. (laughs) That's right, which is a Cyberman story. Ah, oh, I didn't get that connection. Okay, how about this then? Proper question for you, because I assume it was the first time that you heard it as well. What did you think of the theme i am looking at a note now is this the yeah. same theme that they used for the seventh doctor tv i don't know i kind of assume not actually soundbite tv theme <laughs>
audio theme. I was right, or I stand corrected. <laughs> I knew you would be. Works for both. <laughs> My note is, I love the bouncy theme tune with its stabbing synths and thunderous kazoos. It's a mega, mega 80s, isn't it? Yeah, and it's actually worth listening the whole two hours just to hear when it pitches into the major key with those synths and kazoos. It is non pare. <laughs> What did you think about these soundscapes in general? I've already criticised that one scene. I thought they were... In general, I was really, really impressed by the audio editing in this one. There were more than... With a couple of exceptions, I should say. But in there were more than a few occasions where I actively engaged in the stereophonics of this serial of mm-hmm. this uh, mm-hmm. this audiobook mm-hmm. i love that and stereophonics. i immediately thought drew yeah. has got Ooh. a stiffy right now like there is no way <laughs> there was a lot of like oh left right right side right, left side right side i know that you've got a thing for it oh i uh, absolutely do they did a great job of it in this one like it was it's one of few occasions i know big finish does big finish does fantastic audio productions in general but this was one of few occasions where i genuinely felt engaged by exactly that Mm. device okay here's one exception to it not an exception to the stereophonics but one exception to the audio production ace has like an alarm on her watch or on her phone or whatever okay that beeps, which sort of summons her back to the doctor, I guess. She makes some comment about, oh, no, it's on my phone or whatever. It's like, oh, is that really? Like, why don't you just answer the call? I can't remember what it was. Um, it's in her first or maybe second scene with Hex. And that sound cut into my brain. Oh. It was, it hurt me to oh. hear that scene. <laughs> I felt like maybe that wasn't done super duper well. And the second thing was... Only because it took me a while to get into it. But when I got into it, holy smokes, was I into it. Uh, The sound of the doors in the hospital. Oh, that annoyed me. It sounded a bit too much like the TARDIS sounds. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. Thank you. That was not rehearsed. No, the first time that that happened, I was like, oh, is this just what the Seventh Doctor's TARDIS sounded like? You know, I've never heard the Seventh Doctor's TARDIS. Maybe this is it. Yeah. That was very distracting. And that took me a while to figure out. Especially also as the first five or six minutes are spent with the patient calling the guy doctor. And I didn't yes, exactly. realize it wasn't You're the like, doctor. I've never heard this doctor before. Maybe, maybe this is him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I found there was a point where the seventh doctor and Hex, I believe, have found a bunch of cyber spare parts, like a chest yeah. panel and a back panel. Back panel. And other ones like that. And there's nothing metallic to any of the sounds. It sounds like he's rustling through files in a filing cabinet. They're papery. Oh, interesting. Really didn't match for me. Um, like, like you'd expect just scraping of some kind. There was no scraping. Yeah. And there were, yeah, also, yeah. there were also rather generic anonymous moments where they would sort of put their slightly dubby thing in. And... <laughs> It wasn't really doing anything, and there was just twenty or thirty seconds of of just n- 
almost white noise, but just just because none of it attached to anything. It was all disconnected. It was weird. Sometimes they were seen transitions, and at other times they were part of the scene, but just sort of intimating generic confusion. And yeah, I thought it was a little bit lazy. Hmm. Okay, yeah. I, I didn't notice that. I've got a bone to pick with you about sounds. Oh, okay. I hear that you like the second episode of Flux better than the first. Oh, is this from Twitter, eh? Yes, I did. Are we talking about that now? Yeah, why don't we spend a couple of minutes on that before we close this episode, shall we? Wait, oh, sorry, do you have anything else to say about this particular episode before we have our little tangent and we then cut to re- reviews well, the way <laughs> or I was, ratings? The way I was going to link it back to this episode was not every sound effect was fully effective. but i was gonna say it was a nice relief after the loudest hour of doctor who i've ever seen that it wasn't too overwhelming by way of sound effects and overbearing musical flourishes some people like to be asphyxiated during sex on the other hand i like to be given room to breathe which i was not given during flux episode personally don't think that they're mutually exclusive You're implying that you you listened to this right after watching part two of Flux, uh-huh. and you disliked part two of Flux compared to part one of Flux, which you loved the hell out of. You've summarized it brilliantly. <sighs> well, I never. <laughs> I didn't dislike episode two of Flux, but I preferred episode one. Oh, wow. I much preferred part two. Part two had, hey, doctor, there's this weird Japanese plot it's about tempura. I mean, how second rate is that? Yeah, that was maybe uh, not the best joke. Let me follow <laughs> up. If you have words to say, now is not the time to say them because we're going to kill you. Ha ha ha. Terrible. Yeah, and the same Sontaran leader is there for literally every execution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does he not have anything else on his timetable? <laughs> like, what what does his Google calendar look like? It's just like, run from this execution to that execution. That's all he does. Yeah, still thought it was better. I thought the Doctor was better. I thought Yaz was more compelling. I thought, I actually thought that Grey Worm was interesting. Much preferred part two. Okay. Part one can suck it. This part showed some actual potential. No, this part was the potential that part one displayed. There you go. That's a In nice your face, part one, you're a, nothing but a prelude. That's a nice way of saying it. Taken together, these two parts really set things up nicely. <laughs> and, and what I mean is, what I mean is, I realized that I thought Chibnall had basically given away everything in part one that would be resolved painstakingly over five subsequent episodes but i get the feeling that by the time we're in episode six we'll have left the stuff in episode one and two miles behind well i mean if if as this is a six episode arc if this follows the standard three act formula then we have just seen act one fair enough lots of stuff is built up i have a feeling that narratively this six episode arc does not fully match like three equally weighted arcs i don't think that that's what we're getting i think up until and including act sorry episode four we will be getting cliffhangers the likes of which you normally only experience in act one and then act five and six are going to be a super duper rushed acts two and three well Um, I, i think it's a bit difficult to talk about 
act divisions in that sort of rigid sense when what we're going to get is next week will be the Cyberman standalone episode, but worked in. And episode four, four, we get the angels. Yeah. And then I suppose maybe that does work. Five and six is like, okay, let's tie the whole thing up and thereby serve as a kind of second and third act. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to uh, it. And I'm glad that you are now much more chipper about the whole thing. Oh, absolutely. Much more yes. sanguine. Yeah. Like, it didn't require two viewings for me to thoroughly enjoy part two, whereas it required two viewings for me to sort of enjoy part one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, at the end of part two, Yaz is established as sympathetic. We actually know a little bit more about the character of Grey Worm. Yep, Yaz gets to assume the ace role and yes. start inducting Hex slash Grey Worm into the... Yeah, but you could argue that Yaz had the opportunity to do that in part one with um, Dan Stevens from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> but did not was just like a super schmalty you can call me pc yaz of the whatever constabulary Alamshire, i keep telling you <laughs> twice does not keep make okay <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking about a data trend you can draw a straight line between any two dots okay is what i'm trying to say <laughs> the <laughs> yeah whereas now she's had a second go at it and did it much much better yeah because right? she had 10 minutes Compared extra to, sorry yeah because she had 10 minutes extra y- yeah maybe i mean maybe that is it do you like uh dan stevens of that german robot movies fame more after part two than you did after part one because i did i think i think he's doing a game job i think dan stevens of the guest fame was much better in part two than he was in part one in part one he was utter shite uh, uh, no, he wasn't. maybe at a stretch he was just crap and in part two holy smokes i really enjoyed him you know what it is like, you know what even it is. when he made his super duper lame tempura joke utterly on board the problem is is that we are jaded cynical bordering middle-aged old how dare you how dare you i was called young today i want i want i want you to understand this i was called a young man today so shut up (laughs) was it by a titanic survivor (laughs) how dare you what (laughs) my point is we were introduced to dan stevens from the guest fame when he had to be delivering perfect wide-eyed naivete and innocence and sincerity and we are not used to seeing sincerity we want to be bought and convinced because we're defensive and our shields are up and we're like no you have to earn my respect as a character and that i can believe that you're worth my time to be seeing you on this screen and just taking you as you are and that you can love something and that i don't mock you for it because i reserve the right because i judge and i'm a critic and so to to ask that of us in the first but five now you're seconds just describing who back when like yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. basically yeah this is what seven years or eight years or however many years it is at this point of reviewing that's what they yeah. do to us they they put this distance in that means that we just can't bond with someone instantly in that way we used to do you remember how easy it used to be dance dan, dan yes. stevens could come up and say i fucking love liverpool i'm stood on the top of this museum and it's the best museum in the world and we could be like either we have two options at that point we're like dan stevens clearly you speak from the heart and i respect that sir <laughs> or we could be like what you 
not fucking off your head, mate. I mean, what have you been sniffing? You, you belong in a mental hospital. You basically have the mentality of a three-year-old. Okay, so I think a lot of people who are and belong in mental hospitals do speak from the heart. So I don't think that that is an argument against anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think in after part one, we are so far away from the harvest, by the way. But I feel like in part one of Flux... Dan Stevens of Downton Abbey fame was like (laughs) a really good guy who was an utter imbecile who did not belong on television. And in part two, it's like, yeah, no, someone point a camera at this guy. (laughs) Like there's actual entertainment value here. And he's nice. I like him. I like his rapport with you. I even liked his rapport more with um, Poppy McGee. I can't remember his name now. Oh, Carvanista. Yeah, Carvanista. Yeah, more in part two than in part one. And and that that rapport was some of what I liked most about part one. Yeah, that was nice. That was nice when he came back. Anyway, we, sh- we should get back yeah, yeah, to the harvest. Yeah. But- I-, I feel like we've done enough uh, flux stuff here, hashtag Doctor Who flux, for, uh, <laughs> for us to legitimately be able to mention it on Twitter in order to get more listeners for this episode. That's all this is, right? That's It's all just opportunism. Yeah. <laughs> We're just driving people in different directions to different content, right? And it's all worth... That, that's that's the takeaway from this episode. This audio by Dan Abner is worth your time. Yeah. Regardless um, of where you note, stand on Brexit. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And side note, there are probably a good few people in podcast land right now who haven't heard our Doctor Who Flux Part 1 instant reaction review who are thinking, uh, Dan Stevens, was it it? that's all your fault shall we rate this let's did i say let's i meant i've got one more segment still to go oh let's hear it i think it's time to play a game of corridors or corridors okay so in this story's corridor or don't when running down a corridor to your mate's office inside which he knows where he's put the foes of the week's master cutout okay yeah do you a Grab some plates of cyber armor from the previous room you were in and tape those around his weak and exposed fleshy regions. B. Throw the disillusioned doctor who no longer cares about his Hippocratic Oath into the firing line that's hunting you down and run for it. Or C. Put the guy with the password at the back as a human shield so he can absorb all the bullets. (laughs) Are we going for the thing to do or the thing to don't? Because uh, regardless, this does, for me, harken back to our previous tangent of Flux Part 2. Oh, Because in Flux Part 2, there was a point where Dan Stevens of... The Chase. (laughs) (laughs) I assume... Every show's sure. about the chase with you. <laughs> there was a point where where Dan received a walk from his parents, and he was climbing up into a Suntaran ship, and he put the walk inside of his coat and zipped up. And I men- made a mental bullet point for our future review of that episode that was... I bet you a Suntaran is going to laser him, but that walk is now going to act as a bulletproof vest. And it didn't. No, it didn't. That's exactly what sh- what should be the answer to your Corridus or Corridons question. That's It's Chekhov's cyber backplate. It should be yeah. placed 
in front because we've already established like, oh, it's the front plate, it's the chest plate. No, it's the back plate. No, it's the chest plate. And he should wear it over his chest because of that, then get lasered from the front, survive because it effectively Marty McFly's him from Back to the Future 3, spoilers, and then that calls back to the conversation so that he can be right and Doc can be wrong and he can go, I told you it was a chest plate or like, thank God I didn't use it as a back plate or whatever. That's your, yeah. yeah. Or even the slightly simpler version of, wait, I know exactly where there's a back plate. And off he goes, grabs it, hold this yeah. behind you. And he toddles along, pew, 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 ping, ping, ping. Hey, hey. Sure. Also, the yeah, door, yeah. Use it as easy. a back xylophone. Yeah. But that's not what they Corrie did. Nope. <laughs> <sighs> okay, what's the next one? <laughs> well, that was it, really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was the segment. <laughs> That's a solid segment. It even came with a callback. Great. Loved it. Loved every bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Okay, so we're edging towards my racing slash review. I want to call out some of the best lines in oh. this story. Yep. When. Hex is introduced to the TARDIS or, or something's going on. He says, is this a joke? And, and the seventh doctor says, in the unfathomably cosmic sense, most certainly. And he's just so <laughs> smooth and just in command at all. At the end, no, no, no. Later in that same scene, that whole first scene of part two is replete with great lines. The doc says about Ace, in comparison to the TARDIS, you'll find she takes an awful lot longer to understand, even with diagrams. And then Hex says, this doesn't make any sense. And the doctor replies, very few things do in, in space and time. Shouting about it seldom helps. It's so withering and so superior. The, the seventh doctor... I Hearing McCoy be the seventh doctor really brings home the superiority of the Time Lords, A, because he fully believes it and he's acting it out in every word he says and delivers to inferior humans. Yeah, 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 I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And B, just because he's that good and his theatrical delivery is so compelling. And Okay, skip to the end. Hex is auditioning to be the new companion, second class, and he says, do you know what you're getting into? And he says, not even slightly. Isn't that the point? (laughs) See, like... You had me at, isn't that the point, Hex? (laughs) (laughs) Well done, future companion material. Yeah, and just to call back to Brexit at the very beginning, I don't take orders from petty bureaucrats, Mr. Barnier. I mean, Garnier. Like they, like they called St. Bart's, St. Gart's, they called Michelle Barnier, Michelle Garnier. Garnier. Yes, you're right, exactly. Oh, that's so sneaky. Okay, so I'm going to skip through also some of the points that I missed in my mental fog earlier. I loved how Farrah and Garnier switched as this story progressed. At first, Farrah seems like the driven, amoral one, because he's the one doing the experiments. He's Dr. Frankenstein. But gradually, Garnier falls in love with the authority conferred on him by his special Euro Combine directive until his power utterly corrupts him. And by the end, he is an utter wanger. And Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that counts as another twist. There were lots of characters, on the other hand, who were showing shades of humanity and sympathy, including Matthias and Farrah. So they weren't black and white good guys or villains. They had a bit of both. 
Ace's first scene with Hex is truly charming, where she talks about Hack, Snoop, Dig as a member of HR who's also secretly a spy, and she calls Farrah and Garnier gits when Hex bewails being treated like a pleb. <laughs> Which isn't a sign that she's romantically going to get entangled with him, but just a bit of empathy and a bit of humanity that came out throughout this script. When a character needed to turn it on, they had precisely the words to do it with and the actors could run with it and emote it. I also like how the seventh doctor's manipulative personality has clearly been rubbing off on Ace as she tries to gaslight Hex about what he just saw. The eight foot side man running faster than a speeding bullet. And she's like, oh no, that was probably just your brain exaggerating it. Oh yeah, yeah. So I, I loved how, how what thought went in to the relationship previously and it is being lived out now. These characters were living creatures and they just meshed so harmoniously with their surroundings. Again, well done, Dan Abnett. I've said that so many times. You're going to get a high mark. Spoilers. And when Hex says, we're way past the saying, oh my God stage. And then Seven can barely get out one short sentence before Hex is saying it again and the doctor's rolling his eyes and being contemptuous once more. Oh, I loved it. I loved so much of this episode. We're talking about McCoy. When he delivered his monologue about... The Mondassians armoured themselves against the chilly dark of space. They replaced every organic shred of themselves, including compassion, feeling, love, humour. By the end of that speech, more than any amount of summary killings and squinty glares on a screen, I really feared the Cybermen again. Just hearing them described through his words, it was, oh, it was great. The thing I didn't like most about this episode, though, was where Ace mentions the word chance. Do you know what I'm saying? No. When? She's travelled with the Doc for a long time. They're wondering where he is. People are being massacred. So she thinks, oh, there's always been the chance he might not survive. And her saying the word chance reminds Farrah about... At the beginning of this process, he thought there was a chance they might turn evil, so he set up the cyber human's master cutout, but didn't activate it. And not only is it an extremely convenient device, but the device itself is activated by this one word, chance. What are the chances that saying the word chance would (laughs) lead to... The thing that, ah, oh, I, I mean, maybe it's meta. Maybe it's meta, Dan Abner. I, if you were going for that, then great, but otherwise not especially brilliant. But to, to wrap it up, this story was funny, pretty gripping, brilliantly written, splendidly acted, good lines and great scenes abounded. So, <laughs> in sum, I'm going to uh-huh. give this. Yep. Ooh. I mean, Ed Such might give it a 9 out of 10, which would translate to a 4.5. In our rating. 4.5, you say? Uh, yes, I do say. Right. Okay. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good rating. Uh, a solid mini. Sorry that took so long and was not a mini at all and was, in fact, a mega maxi. A solid maxi. Solid maxi. Okay. How, how solid in the constipated sense. Like, <laughs> really had to just just keep squeezing. <laughs> oh, 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 goodness. Solid in the... You've had way too many eggs in the past 24 hours since. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, that's horrible. Okay, how do I follow that? I, 
Okay, here's what I'm going to say. What an introduction to the... Fun, charismatic, enigmatic, sarcastic, acerbic, even when ecstatic, bombastic, at times choleric, but overall an overwhelmingly hilarious Lloyd. I cannot wait to see this dude on screen. What a chap. Ace! Nair, yeah, that's N-E apostrophe E-R, has a companion been <laughs> more appropriately named. Looking forward to see her, seeing her as well. Hex, yeah, sure. The Euro Combine Harvesters, creepy as balls. Uh, the reincarnated cyber leader. Okay, here, okay, here's mm-hmm. what I'll say about him. Mm-hmm. Reincarnated cyber leader versus the lone cyberman. I feel, I feel like th- this is a cyberman of a completely different class. This audiobook, in fact, is of a class of cyber stories alongside human resources, just to name one off the top of my head for Audio Who, or, uh, okay, so I've written Silver Nemesis for TV, or, dare I say it, Tenth Planet, maybe going a little bit too far, but okay. Uh, <laughs> how about this then? Uh, I'll say this instead. What's it called? Um, what is it called? The the haunting of the House of Ayuade, whatever you know. What Villa I mean. Diodati. That's the one. It's a different kind of summon. It's it's not just the rampaging or like it, not even rampaging. It's not just the marching cyber soldiers with no motivation and no individuality and nothing to set them apart from any other marching Cyberman in any other cyber story. This is a reinvention, a reimagining of the Cyberman in a way that is incredibly interesting and compelling. Wait, why didn't I think of uh, World Enough in Time in that list? Absolutely. On Mm. that, it belongs in the same category. Next bullet point, humor. This is a really fun episode. Whilst being very scary and very thrilling and very exciting, this is a fun story. Uh, Here are a couple of lines that I wrote down. Ace and I are committed. And then in the background, we hear Ace going, or should be, hilarious. Yeah, that was in Uh, my list. It was the one I didn't read out from my list. It's in his list. list It's in his list. going on too long. And it was in your list. (laughs) There was a mention of, um, I think this, I can't, what's his name? Plonk? What's his name? The Polk. Polk, that's the guy. <laughs> Plonk, you know what I mean. When he is driving his Mercedes and trying to, to kill them at the start, um, there's, oh, yeah. there's a reference to a, to quote, some total banker experiencing road range, which I feel must have been a total wanker. Yeah, Hilarious. Yeah. Best line, by the way, one of the best lines, I should say. This is Sly McCoy saying, small parts not suitable for humans, danger of genocide. Oh my goodness. That was Amazing. The other, the other line I picked out. No way! You know what? I could have done without all the Brexiteerism, but the thing is, everyone's allowed to have the wrong opinion, of course, and I'm not saying that Dan Abnett has that opinion, though if he does, then yes, it is very much the wrong one, and he'd be wrong to have it. But Dan Abnett, doesn't he have the right to have it, eh? I also... Really, on a supra-episodical level, want to reiterate my gratitude to Ed Such of Ed Such fame and of Impossible Blog fame for recommending this story to us because it is incredible. So, in summary, overall, I am mostly thrilled to have encountered the seventh Doctor and Ace 
and I'm still feeling a twinge in my nethers after all the body horror. And I would like to point out that this score for an audiobook is not the same as this score would be for a TV story. But nevertheless, the rating that I have written down in my notes for this audiobook is 4.5. Nice. (laughs) We got there by very different routes of very different lengths, but yeah. Do you want to hear what Podcastland has to say about this? I mean, I'd love to. Yeah. Me too. Uh, Podcast Land, why didn't you write into us even though we didn't tell you in advance that we were reviewing this episode? <laughs> if you want to pop a review on whobackone.com, though, uh, please do feel free to. You know how the internet works. Do it. Yeah. And let this serve as advance warning that we are going to be doing the gathering and the reaping in the not too distant future. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or the reaping or the gathering. I can't remember which one's first now. Okay, so that wraps that up. So what else have we got coming up on this esteemed podcast and its multifarious channels? Leon, That is an excellent question. What's coming up next in the classic channel? Oh, well, in the classic channel, we have Warriors from the Deep, which I still have not watched, but I'm incredibly excited about watching. Mostly because I saw the prop of the actual underwater base very recently. And uh, holy smokes, it looked terrible. So I cannot wait to see that serial. <laughs> Lovely. And I happen to know that next in the New Who channel is the Doctor Falls. Ooh, super exciting. Uh, as for bonus uh, Who territory, we will either be doing the hashtag RTD2 or the Peter Capaldi retrospective or the Peter <laughs> Davison retrospective, depending on which one beats us to it, really. Yep, and hard on their heels, our two original Doctor Who adventures, which are both in the works, will be following probably early 2022. Yeah, that's right. We're taking a little bit of an unintentional break from dropping reviews uh, on you over the next couple of weeks. Again, this is because of the aforementioned scheduling conflicts. Uh, We've mentioned them on Whoback One on a number of occasions now. Very sorry about that. But we will return super duper soon. As soon as everyone's back in their respective countries, we will return. Yeah. I mean, you understand. If you'd received an invitation from Michael Ridgway to come to Kenya, you'd be gone as well. Sorry. uh, Was that Michael Ridgway? Ridgway. Ridgway. Indeed, very same. (laughs) So big. Bigger than that sun at the beginning of The Lion King. <laughs> oh, oh Ridgeway, Ridgeway. He's a big, bigger long. <laughs> Tell him hi from me, please. Oh, I will. I will. He'll be thrilled. <laughs> okay, so where can we be found in the meantime on the, t- on the internets? I believe we're both on the Tweety Blobs. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah. Tweety Blobs. Yes, indeed. Uh, Please feel free to high-five me online. I will high-five you right back. I can be found at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. And I can be found at Drewback When. Excellent branding. Thanks very much. Okay, so that's it. I've got to go because I'm falling asleep. Until next time, Podcast Land, you've been a lovely audience. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening at such short notice. Bye-bye. Rock on. Be rad and excellent to each other. Keep on staying safe. And cha-chao. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. 
Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?